so I stopped. <clears throat> Nehemiah helps the poor. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we, are sons and da- we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others are saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. The people cried, We will give it back, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden to the peop- onto the people and took 40 shekels or silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. <clears throat> but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. 
Remember me with favour, my God, for all I have done for these people. Thank you. I'm just going to raise my lectern a little bit. Because when I look down too far, I get cross-eyed, and you might have two sermons, and this one's quite long enough, so we don't want to get any more words than, uh, than we need. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing ways that Nehemiah has revealed your work in his life. Thank you that your spirit was at work in those days, 450 years before your spirit came at Pentecost. And Lord, all these years on, your spirit is still at work in our lives, and we thank you that as we seek to reflect on the story of Nehemiah, we pray that your spirit would come and do a mighty work in our lives too and change our hearts to become more full of uh, reverence and praise of your name and live that life in the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope after this last fortnight you are all thoroughly inspired. You have got inspired through all the things that have been happening in Rio and, and the broadcasts that have been going on. But one of the great sights uh, was, uh, of the Rio Olympics has been Laura Trott with that flag behind her and that gold medal round her neck. And it was a, a wonderful, wonderful occasion because when she won uh, her last race in the Omnium, she uh, was able to claim to be the uh, most successful female Olympian of all time, winning four gold medals at Rio. Well, as millions watch... Some are, are um, entertained by what we see. Uh, many are inspired and others are motivated to get involved, either to get on their bike or to do whatever they feel inspired by. But for Laura Trott, something very significant happened. You may have just caught on the feature that was done on her when she was a child. Something very powerful because it was so personal. Sir Bradley Wiggins, as he now is, went to visit her as a youngster and put his gold medal around her neck. Can you imagine the impact that will have had? For him to do that, a symbolic gesture of saying, I believe that you too could one day be having that medal around your neck. Something personal and as powerful as that, I think would have had a massive impact and a motivation for her to go on and achieve what she's done. We're going to be thinking a little bit about that sort of dynamic at the end of what I've got to say this morning. Because what had happened for Laura Trott was that she was more than inspired to get involved. She now had a vision and a seed planted within her that she began to reimagine the future in which she was participating. And that really is at the heart of what it means to have a vision of what God wants for your life. To imagine the future in which you are participating and you are feeling excited about. 
And if you haven't got that vision, then pray with all your heart for a vision like that. That you can see the future of your life with emotional attachment, with a sense of this is what God wants for me and I am absolutely full on for that. Because that is what makes life worth living. And God wants to give each of us a real sense of participation in the future he has for us. It's so exciting. And then we learn to live that life in the way that God enables us. So let's go back to Nehemiah for a moment. Well, over the past five weeks, we've been going back to 450 BC, watching Nehemiah, feeling the pain of his people in exile. He didn't just feel sorry, did he? He sensed God's heart of compassion, the stirring. And he acted out of a call to get involved in the God's building plans, to rebuild the wall and to rebuild his people. We've been learning the significance of prayer and planning and preparation as he began the project. The way God built in him and indeed builds in us both a passion for the work we're called to do, whatever that might be, in nursing, in in teaching, in bricklaying, in education, or in the church, but also the way God gave him a sense of perseverance to keep on keeping on, overcoming opposition by being alert to what was going on behind the scenes, the spiritual dimension of what we often don't see, but know in our heart is happening, and relying on God's strength and God's spirit to do God's work, God's way. So Nehemiah was both gritty, but he was also godly. And those are the people who inspire me, gritty, godly people. And that are the, those are the sort of people that God's heart rejoices in and that God is seeking to form us into as his people, gritty, godly disciples. The last couple of weeks we've been looking at what it means to be gritty and an overcomer. This week I want to look at how we can become godly, what it means to be godly as Nehemiah demonstrated godliness. What is true godliness. I didn't, I didn't really know until I came to prepare for this sermon. I sort of thought being a bit like God. Um, that's a bit vague, isn't it? But I looked at my NIV study Bible, and in the notes it said, godliness is a genuine reverence towards God that governs one's attitude toward every aspect of life. I think that's a really helpful definition. I'll just read it again. A genuine reverence towards God. That's the first thing, a reverence towards God that governs one's attitude to every aspect of life. Reverence towards God that flows into the whole of life. Godliness. And we see this clearly in chapter 5, demonstrated by Nehemiah. What we heard in chapter 5 was description of an economic recession. 
and it was right in the middle of their building project. Great timing, Lord. And surprise, surprise, in this economic recession, the powerless are being exploited, the poor are getting poorer, and the rich are getting richer, all resulting in demonstrations, outcries against the authorities. Anything new <laughs> today? Well, Nehemiah's response is very, very telling. He said, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Because deep down there's something triggered within him that was outraged. And an outrage, an anger towards social injustice is a hugely godly thing. Anger is something that is part of who we are as God made us. Jesus demonstrated very angriness, didn't he, in that temple? And he deliberately made up that whip and went round smashing across the money and overturning the money changers' tables because he was deeply outraged against the injustice, the exploitation of those who were coming in from foreign lands and making money for their own profit. But we see something very important here when it comes to learning the life, learning to live a life of godliness. Where Nehemiah was very angry, but he didn't act in anger. And here is a key learning point when it comes to us handling anger. We can't help being angry, but we can help how we handle and manage our anger. What Nehemiah seems to have done was to hit the pause button, to give himself time to calm down and to allow his mind to manage his feelings. He got perspective on the whole thing. He didn't instantly reach for his laptop, his email, his iPhone, whatever, and fly off some abuse and huge vitriol against those people. But we read that he pondered these things in his mind and then accused the nobles and officials. And he said to them this, what you are doing is not right. <laughs> he defined reality very clearly indeed. And he didn't make it personal. He didn't say, you are wrong. He didn't attack them in an individualistic way, but rather recognized that what they were doing was wrong. And then the challenging question, shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord? See, Nehemiah had that perception Nigel was talking about last week, that gift of discernment, that he could see that by the God's spirit that these people were acting in the way they were because there was a much deeper root to what led to their actions. And he asked them the question, shouldn't you be walking in the fear 
of the Lord. Of course, walking is a biblical word for living. Living in the fear of God, that is what Nehemiah was challenging about. Now, it's not very fashionable among Christians and preachers today to talk about fearing God. In the good old days when we had fire and brimstone sermons and the chapels back in Wales and many other places too. And there's been a, a, a rebellion against that. There's been a movement right away from that sort of thing. The danger, of course, is that the pendulum swings so far the other way that we have an understanding of God that is rather comfortable and cosy and all very friendly, even pally. There's a, a worship song that I heard the other day. Children said, God's my mate, you know. And I'm thinking... Well, I can see, you know, friend of Jesus and everything, but where is the fear of the Lord in our lives, in our churches of this nation, in my life? I am deeply challenged by this fifth chapter of Nehemiah. And I went back to other passages in the Bible that spoke about the fear of of the Lord, and there's many of them. We know what it is to fear the Lord, says Paul to the Corinthians. But going back to the thing that Jesus said, let me read you uh, something that Jesus uh, told to his disciples, to his friends, that's recorded in Luke chapter 12. There is nothing, said Jesus, concealed that will not be disclosed. Or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. The day of judgment. I tell you, my friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. This is Jesus. Gentle, mild Jesus. But he says this to his friends. And he says to fear the God who loves them. By fearing him, Jesus meant respect his authority. Stand in awe of his sovereignty. But trust him also. And why can we trust this God? Even though we might live in fear of him? Because he loves. And will continue to love because he knows us and he loves us. He loves us and he knows us. To go back to another sermon we had a few weeks ago. Jesus just goes on to tell those same disciples in the very next verse, verse 6 of Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. 
you are worth more than many sparrows. So don't be afraid, he says, but fear God. Don't be afraid that God doesn't love you and doesn't know you, because he does. But this love is so awesome that we stand in awe and reverence and we just lay our lives before him. We say, Lord, in the light of your awesome knowledge and overwhelming love of me, I, I am safe to surrender all and to obey you in everything because I know that you want the best for my life, even though it might mean going through suffering. The fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, as it says in in Proverbs and in Psalms, but also is the basis of true godliness. A genuine reverence for God that governs one's attitude in every aspect of life. And that is what Nehemiah was able to see was the root for the people who were acting unjustly. They didn't fear God because they didn't see, first and foremost, that who they were working for and who they were living for was this God, this sovereign God. They thought they were just doing it to the people. And the heart of the matter is that they were doing, what they were doing was not right because they'd forgotten who they were doing it for. They were not doing it for Yahweh, the great and fearsome Lord. They'd fallen into the trap that our enemy today sets for us all, which is the deception that we work for ourselves and life gets on and God's up there and we're down here and, you know, we can just do our stuff. It's our work. It's our money that we get for our work. We've worked hard, so we'll get our money. Instead of it being all God's. All God's. Mike uh, Pilevacci, who was uh, one of the founders of Soul Survivor, where many of our young people have gone uh, this wet weekend, uh, wrote an influential book a long time ago, and it's got a great title, For an Audience of One. For an Audience of One. And I try to remember that, and that's who I'm working for. Whether I was in teaching, or whether I'm a vicar, whatever my work might have been, I try to remember I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing it under his watchful eye. For a Christian is someone who has affirmed that Jesus is Lord. All they are and all they do, all are done for the sovereign who is over us and in us and working through us. A Christ follower is a disciple who is called to live in the fear of the Lord. That profound reverence and obedience to Christ the one who St. Paul describes as the true master of us all. I find that just so, so challenging. And we do well to ponder that challenge, what it might mean for me, for you, to surrender the whole of my life to Jesus as Lord. Well, it was clear that God's Spirit was at work among these leaders in Jerusalem because they were convicted of that sin, not just the sin of treating the 
people unfairly, but their sin of not reverencing Yahweh as God. And they made a firm decision to put things right with the people and come back in worship to God. Let me read what Nehemiah says to them. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. Just do it, he says. No messing about. And they said, we will give it back. No arguing. We will give it back and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now, Nehemiah could have left it. Great. Let's move on to the next thing. But he knew that human nature is easily deceived. And so often we say one thing here in church and then we go out the next day, you know, what our lives look like on Monday might be different to what they are on a Sunday. So he does something more. And he gives them something perhaps they would never forget. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to what to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. Wow. <laughs> it's God's judgment. May God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. As God is to be feared, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And at this, we read, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. <laughs> They've just been given the biggest rollicking and hugest ultimatum that they could ever have faced, and they started worshipping the Lord. Why? Because they had seen that this God who is to be feared really is God. In their hearts they had appreciated deep, deep down something personal had happened within them that they knew this God was the one that they alone and they would worship with everything in them and they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. There was this great obedience at that time which was worthy of full allegiance to God. It's an amazing story. I'm not going to go on any more about the rest of that uh, chapter, though it's worth studying again. But I just want to conclude by just helping us to see and imagine this man, Nehemiah, living a life of godliness, acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with his God. And that all flowing from a fear of the Lord, which was the basis of his life, motivating him to do God's work, God's way, and inspiring his people to do the same. And I want to conclude by asking the question, how can we become more gritty and godly? And that's something I'd like us to ponder as we, we look at these uh, cards in a moment. We've got in front of you because uh, shortly I'm going to invite us to have some time where we can perhaps just reflect on the things we've been thinking about this morning and the question 
around godliness with grittiness is a big one for us to ponder. As we seek to become gritty and godly, how do we do that? Do we try harder? Yes, that's part of it. Do we train better using the spiritual disciplines to order our lives according to God's purposes? Of course, we've heard from the Olympians how important that is. But it seems that there's something more than just effort and training, more than just grittiness, inherent in what it means to be a mature Christian is the combination of training well and living a life that is cognizant of God's power and greatness 24-7 and looking to receive the gift of a changed heart that God and only God can create in us. Let's look at these words from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that uh, Roger's going to put on the screen, I hope. It says this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Isn't that interesting? It's more than interesting. <laughs> it's hugely significant. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Knowing him personally. And here's the sense of knowing the God who believes in us, that Jesus is Lord, that he puts that medal round our neck, as it were, and says to us as his disciples, I believe that you too can become someone who is gritty and godly. I believe in you as you believe in me. Now grow into what you now are and can see you could be in the future. And my divine power gives you everything you need to grow into that godly woman, man, teenager, child. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's his power that gives us everything we need to do God's work and God's way. So what we're going to do this morning now, just for a little while, the musician's going to come forward back because we're going to do uh, a, an opportunity for us to respond and reflect to God's word. And if you have a look at the card have you all got in front of you these uh, simple cards that Anita's made for us? Uh, if you can get a pencil or a pen or something. Uh, and the worship group are going to play some, some songs which will help us to either worship God through song. If you want to respond by res answering yourself now or after the service when you get home, if you want to, write on the back of them. What you sense God's Spirit might be saying to you today, this is a holy time to respond. What do you sense God's Spirit might be saying to you? And what one thing do you want to do differently or find out more about or pray about or ask another for prayer? We're going to just have time, about 15 minutes or so now, when we can do that. And um, 
during this time as well, members of the prayer ministry team uh, are going to come and, and join us at the front here, the either side of the aisles. And it would be appropriate if you felt you'd like to come and just to receive prayer for God's Spirit to give you that heart that is made to have a real fear of his name. You recognize that you treated God a little bit casually in your life. And you want to ask God's spirit to give you a more profound reverence for him and a desire to worship him in the whole of your being. Do come forward and there'll be people who love to pray for you and to ask God to do that work as well. Please join in with the, the song if you'd like to. Let's do any of those things together. Thank you.